0: There's a lot of pieces and parts to the program today uh, that complicate things, but one of the things I wanted to do is still be able to preach. Come on, somebody. And I still wanted to be able to go down the road of saying, what is the Lord saying to us? No matter what stage you're you're coming from or what part of life you're in. And I want to welcome those of you that are watching online. And uh, we've had so many great stories just with even people from within Emmanuel, people that have been sick or in the hospital from places where they could not attend church and uh, they've been with the church still because of our our uh, online service that we have now and then also all of our campuses last week we began a series called fresh air and uh, I just challenged everyone to consider the thought that we're breathing in toxins all the time both physically and socially around us and the forces around us in the world have a way of of working on our body in a negative way or in our spiritual or emotional body in a, in a negative way. And uh, we, we can become loaded down and the toxins work its way into our relationships. It has a way of separating us from people. It can drain the mind and you can feel depressed and not even know why. And you might not have done anything wrong. It's the air you breathe in America today. And I'm not talking just about the oxygen outside physical side of things. It's It's vitriol. Uh, There is all kinds of activity going on in social media and all kinds of, of, of harmful influences that are trying to go after our next generation. And of course, what we talked about was that the purest air in all the world is the presence of God. And if you go back to Genesis, when God breathed life into a lump of clay, what he did is he breathed himself in. And as he breathed fresh air in, There's something that changed in humanity, and throughout time, our responsibility is to learn to reconnect to our Creator and to breathe with Him. And of course, in the church context, worship is a part of that. We have to learn to worship. Psalm 100 talks about how we are to enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. There's a process to it, but it's also a response. When you are with God, all you want to do is breathe in and breathe out. And we talked about the inhaling of heaven being through worship and letting the exhale of the toxins go out because the inhale is coming in. And we have to learn to breathe. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you need to breathe. In fact, Let's just do this together. Breathe in. Breathe out. There's something that happens. Both the pace of life slows down. There's something about the clarity of the moment. And we we pause and we shut out everything else, and so it's very important for us to have respiration where we exhale the world and we breathe in God. Today is part two. I've entitled it "Glory." Have you ever gone on a trip and visited like a monument somewhere or a historic location? And uh, you know, you can go around the world. You can go into Rome and see the Colosseum. You can go to Athens and see where the Senate was. You can go to Mexico and see the ancient temples. You can go to uh, Washington, D.C., and you walk up to the Abraham Lincoln uh, Memorial, and uh, you see this big statue. Well, in the United States, we don't worship Abraham Lincoln, right? But that is a statue that commemorates something of value about what that person did and what that person's actions mean to us today, Jody and I took our boys a couple of years ago to Washington, D.C., and we got to see the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Memorial, and they've got all of his famous quotes, and it was so inspirational. It's the only monument our country has ever put together for a preacher. Come on, somebody. I <laughs> well, that was pretty cool. So I'm like, this is a big deal. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't just about the man, Martin Luther King Jr., it was about what he represented and continues to represent. Now, different people misused that at times, but I I want you to catch the thought that monuments represent far more than one memory. They represent the power of values and of worth. And the glory of monuments is what they represent. It's the glory. ever said the glory. Now the glory of God was a visible and outward expression of the majestic presence of God for the Hebrew people. And as you open up your Bibles and you look through the pages of Scripture, you will see both a historical record of God meeting and working with people, but you will also see him showing himself to those same people. And the God of the Bible is still God today. And his presence, his manifest presence, is not just a historic monument of what things were. His glory is meant to be felt in the present tense. When the law was given at Mount Sinai, the glory of the Lord settled on the mountain, and when Moses came down, the glory of the Lord was on his face, and he shined. And Likewise, the glory of God became manifest at the tent of meeting that the people would see, and Moses would go meet. And that glory was a visible sign to God's people of his continuing presence. You see, they had come out of Egypt, and they were out out in the desert, and God was sharing the law with them and showing them how to live and how to worship and how to relate to him. But in that moment, they were also afraid. They were afraid of their enemies on the outside. They were hungry, and they thought about going back into slavery. And they made statements like, we had it better when we were back with Pharaoh. They didn't have it better, but in those moments, they need to be reassured that God was with them. Because as long as God was with them, they could handle anything. That visible sign was important throughout the years of wandering in the desert. God gave comfort to His people through a tangible sense of His presence: fire by night, cloud by day, manna daily. And He also gave specific instructions for a tent or a tabernacle to be built. And the mobile worship center was erected. There was to be at the center of Israeli life. Now you see a picture on the screen, and that picture is. Uh, someone's idea of what it may have looked like but essentially you have a tent in the middle of all the tribes of Israel and that tent was the place where they would go and they would meet with God that tent was the center of the life everybody said the center so in other words God's way of leading the people was different than all of their surrounding nations the other nations had a leader a king or somebody that told the people what to do And they led either from the very front or from the very back. But God was to be at the center of his people as he led them through. It was God to be the center, okay? And in that center, God showed his glory. And we are to to live around him like the tribes of Israel lived around the tent of meeting. We are to surround our life, to build our lives around the presence of God. In our day and age, our equivalent to the Israelites is that we've come from many different family backgrounds and storylines. We kind of told what's right and wrong, what we do with our money, how we handle our relationships based on our families of origin or the story that we got when we were trained in a college or an institution or something like that. And as we are engrafted into the family of God, one of the things that you and I need to learn to do is to rearrange our lives around the presence of God. To not let it be just a little weekend thing that we attend, but to let the presence of God be at the core of our marriages. To let the presence of God be at the core of who we are in our businesses and who we are in the communities that God has called us to be in. And that is a process. Everybody say process. It's not an event. We have to learn, much like Israel had to learn, how to let God be at the center. Inside the tent was a cube-shaped inner room where the Holy of Holies was. It was the area um, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant were the two stone tablets brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses. And on each were written the Ten Commandments. Uh, There was also a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's rod which had budded and borne ripe almonds. And if you want to know more about the story of what happens with the tabernacle, you can read it in Exodus 25 to 40. There's great illustrative language about how the temple was put together. And in there, the priest would minister in the tabernacle. And there were meal offerings and worship offerings and peace offerings and sacrifices. But the big thing was this. As long as the glory of the Lord was with Israel, they conquered anything and everything. For Israel, Yahweh was a living God. And the ark was proof that God was with them. His glory was with the people. And I I just want you to know this. That should be the story of the church as well. That at the center, we know God is with us because his presence is with us, all right? But for anyone in Israel, the worst thing of all would be to lose to lose the glory, to lose the thing that represented God's presence. And if you fast forward in Israel's storyline, you'll discover that there are leaders that were raised up that no longer followed God. They got to the promised land And there was not a king yet. Um, And then there was a king coming. And there was a transition of people not trusting in God. They wanted to trust in people. And how many know when you trust in people, things don't always go out right? Isn't that true? In your own life, hello. Some things haven't always gone right when you trusted in people, okay? And there's kind of a breaking point. God was breaking the nation and as he was breaking the nation, he allowed an enemy to conquer Israel. And the enemy came in and conquered and took the ark of God, which represented the presence of God, and took it into their own land, the Philistines. In First Samuel chapter four, turn there with me. In first Samuel chapter four, if you have your Bibles, and you should. First Samuel four, this is the story of kind of a, a nice little snapshot. What was happening to the whole nation? Eli's daughter-in-law, Eli had been the prophet that had led, the priest that had led the nation. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant. And near her time of delivery, when she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. And she died in childbirth. But before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer them or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. And she named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. And then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. This is a historic moment, but I want to bring it into the context of 2017, not only for our church, but also for individuals and for families and for all of society, really, that we can become Ichabods if we're not careful. Ichabod has come over the centuries to symbolize a life, a marriage, a church that has lost a sense of the glory of God. Eventually, the ark is captured. And when it is captured, what happened is something was lost from the nation. I just want to pause there and I'll talk about how they got the, the ark back. Do you remember moments when you knew God was with you? Can you recall the sweetest place where you were intimate with God you were submitted to his purposes and it was his glory that led you I'm not saying you're not there now but can you remember could you imagine that being withdrawn from your life and to live life on your own and to have no support to pray and not really know if God is there this is the story of America friends this is the story of many churches and denominations It's a story of having the outward, and they still have the edifices. But the ark is up and moved. The presence has left. It is the worst story of all. It's the monument that has lost its purpose, that's forgotten why it's there. It's forgotten what it's supposed to mean to each generation. And Ichabod could be written upon our lives, upon our homes, if we don't intentionally guard the presence of God. Now, in the story of Israel, eventually the ark is captured and brought to Jerusalem by King David who enters worshiping without shame in the streets. You can read the story. He was a little bit crazy because he was so focused on the presence of God he couldn't see or worry about the sneers of the people. And he had this dream as a king to establish a permanent temple that God had lined out the details for years before. But he could not build that temple because he had been a warrior and God would not allow him to build the temple. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, in fact, go to 2 Chronicles with me. In fact, 5, 6, and 7, you can read and see a little bit of a story develop here. Eventually, David's son, Solomon, builds the temple. And this temple has the ark, and it has all the ornate stuff. And by the way, it was brilliant. There was gold everywhere. It was perfect. They believed in excellence. They built it right right down to the specs, to the right color, to everything. And as they built it, the moment came when the people of God, led by Solomon, determined that they had to ask God to fill the temple. It was a dedication moment. And you'll see it in Second Chronicles chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then this is what happens in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, after praying, when Solomon had finished, and the people were there, and the priests were there, and everybody had worshiped, and there was music. There was probably Puerto Rican music, Pastor John Carlos. It was a holy moment. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. I want you to catch this. What? Where did the fire come from? Fire flashed down from? Fire flashed down from? So they had all their natural stuff. They had all contributed. You know who paid for the temple? All the people paid for the temple. They had their own Hello Possible campaign. Hello. (laughs) And they had gathered together. And it was good looking, but it was missing something. And the fire didn't come from the king and the fire didn't come from the Levites, and the fire didn't come from the ushers, and the fire didn't come from the mature old people, and the fire didn't come from the young whippersnappers, and the fire didn't come from the wealthy, and the fire didn't come from the poor, and the fire didn't come from the streets, and the fire didn't come from Amazon.com. The fire came from heaven. How many of us spend time looking for our help every other place than the only place that the fire comes? (sighs) Verse 2, Then the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down, and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, the glory of the Lord, they fell face down on the ground and they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, he is good, his faithful love endures forever. This is an interesting phrase, what they all said together. They got on their knees and they said, he is good and his faithful love endures forever there was a statement that they were making that was not geographically oriented they weren't saying it to each other they weren't saying it to the world around them they were saying it to him he is good it was a statement that he has been good they were stating they were standing on shoulders of God's faithfulness historically. His love has already endured, and he got us to this point. They were declaring it out loud. They weren't leaving room for anybody else to get the credit. They weren't going, it was my Ivy League education that got me here. It was my superior intellect that allowed me to build the house that I have. They weren't leaning on any else they were declaring he is good and his love is endured I'm telling you this right now if you want to see the fire of God in your life The presence of God show up in your home. The worst thing for you to do is to be prideful or give anybody but God the credit. you got to turn your attention right back to the one that got you here in the first place. And if you say, there's no way. I'm having a bad day. I've lost everything. I lost my job. I lost my marriage. Everybody hates me. And you're in a bad mood and you're feeling depressed. Let me tell you this. It's still God that kept you alive and got you to this moment. His mercies are new every morning. Somehow, in some way, you're still breathing. You still have the capacity to look into the future. He is good and his love has endured. Come on, somebody. He is good. But then it's also a statement about the future because they are declaring his love endures forever. There's love that's never gonna run out, never gonna give up. There's a love. That doesn't go on empty. You can tap into that through a thousand generations and you will discover that his love still endures forever. Your hope doesn't come from Amazon.com. And when you look into the future, you don't need to win the lottery. You don't need somebody to smile at you. All you need to do is direct your attention right back to the one that loved you in the first place. And he will carry you through on into the future. Come on, son somebody. You can trust them. This service pulls a whole lot of different kind of preaching out of me. That's all I got to say. God's glory filled the temple as they sang. And they were commemorating all that God had already done, but they were also looking into the future. Today, we are dedicating our building for the glory of God. Not only to thank him for what he has done, but to give him our future. We are nothing without his presence. And we cannot move into the future without his presence. By the time you move to the New Testament, you see a new definition of all, of how God likes to inhabit people. We are now called his temple. In First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is speaking and he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God brought, bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. The body becomes the place. And Paul speaks of the body in multiple ways. He speaks of it as an individual, but he's also talking about the body of Christ. We are the present day temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that is the place that the glory is to be seen, not in the old tabernacle, not in the physical temple in Jerusalem. We are the ones where the glory is to be seen in our individual bodies and in as, as a community of faith. But the church is not a building. It's people together. It's all of us working together. First Peter chapter 2, the apostle says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You see, he calls us stones. And as long as we come to the cornerstone, the beginning stone, although the entire building is built off of that beginning point, when you come to Jesus... He has a way of using ordinary people to begin to build us. And it doesn't matter today if you've been in the church since 1963 here at Emmanuel, or if you came last decade, or if this is your first Sunday. You need to hear the good news that when you come to Jesus, no matter what your storyline is, no matter how bad your past may be, no matter what stain has come upon you, Jesus has a way of taking each and every person and building us into his temple. That you have not canceled out your opportunity to be a receptor of the presence of God because of what has happened before or what somebody has spoken to you or the mistakes of the past or the worries and the frustrations of what you've gone through. I'm telling you today, you can be one of those stones. And you can be a part of the building of God. The building that we are in today is nothing more than a harvest machine. This is not, the building is not the church. You are the stones of the church. And that's the beautiful thing that no matter where you go on the planet, you can be a part of the building of God. When you gather two by two, when you gather in your connect group, when you gather together on a missions trip, or perhaps you're on a a vacation, and you show up and you meet with other believers that you have never even known before, you are a part of the building and Jesus can still show up. You have an ability to be a part of something, but you can't do it alone. See, here's the danger in modern America with our religion and our individualistic approach to how we handle things. We've buffeted God. I want this, I don't want that. I want this, I don't want that. To the point that now even the next generation has seen so much individualization, whether it be through social media or other things, where everybody can build their own profile, their own way of doing things, who they want to watch, who they want to listen to, to the degree that now they desire true community. And people can be sitting next to each other with a phone and talking on social media, but not feel a part of anything. And I'm saying the beauty of what God can do in the middle of this generation is he can build his church stone by stone that predates social media, cell phones, and everything else, friends. If you can be a part of the church, you can discover I am not alone, and it's not all on me. You see, when we gather together and we worship together, we've got people that are in front of you and behind you that have gone through stuff. People that have got scars and they've gone through experiences and they've trusted God. And they don't know how to make it, but you know how to make it. And so you can share your story as the house of God. And as you gather together, God does something miraculous. He takes all of our brokenness and somehow the strength of everyone around you becomes the strength that you feel. You can come in feeling alone and leave feeling together. You can come and worship and feel like you're disconnected and leave knowing that you're not alone. You're a part of something God is doing on the earth in 2017. That's the power. Good seasons and bad. When we come together and humbly worship him, damaged souls are reborn. Families are put back together. The hopeless gain vision, healing, and virtue flow. Not because of the beauty of the stones, not because of incredible leaders, not because of perfect people, not because of incredible buildings, not because of slick advertising, no. The people who come in contact with the temple of God, the house that is dedicated to the glory of God, those people, the people of Emmanuel have chosen to direct our attention to the place where the Holy of Holies is right now. The throne room of heaven where Jesus went to build a place for us. And right now, the saints that have gone before, and people and angels are around the throne, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. In fact, I think they're crying out, he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then the glory of God enters his temple, filling his church with his presence. Fresh air enters the house of God when the people of God turn their attention to God Together. Everybody said together. together. The f- truth is you need each other. Some of you are like, you don't understand, Pastor Nate. I think that churches of the past. Big worship services, that's your old generation. I think I can just serve God, go worship him and pray wherever I want, whenever I want. True. And how many know God does meet you in your secret place? You can have your private prayer life, absolutely. But the way the Bible shows it, you gotta be connected to other believers because you're missing something without the people that are around you. In fact, turn to the person and say, I need you. Like our worship team to come on up here. As we move towards dedication today, and we're gonna have a ribbon cutting thing later on and everything, You know, some of you might think, well, this service is all about a dedication for a building. The pastor, that's all he wanted to talk about. It had nothing to do with me. You totally missed the point. (laughs) The point is, you need God. You do. I do. And if we come together and dedicate our lives together, God shows up in ways when we're together that he doesn't when we're alone. His presence comes. His fire fills the temple. There's something that happens that you can't get at home. This is what God's response to Solomon was. When he had dedicated the temple and Solomon had worshiped and the fire had fell and then Solomon went away and God then spoke to the leader and he said this. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. Or command grasshoppers to devour your crops. Or send plagues among you. Then, everybody said then. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Would you stand with me today?